welcome to the Redeemer Central podcast. Redeemer Central is a church community in Belfast seeking to practice the way of Jesus and work for the peace and good of our city. For more information, please visit RedeemerCentral.com. Hey, Redeemer community. Um, I'm here uh, tonight uh, recording a, a short uh, interview with a friend of mine. I'm delighted to um, introduce you all to my friend, John Perrine. Perrine, is it? Is Got that how you pronounce your name, John? Hi, Redeemer. Yes, John Perrine. You will see when Perrine. you see my last name, it is incredibly confusing to figure out how to pronounce it. But there you go. You've heard it from Dave. John Perrine rhymes with wine. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's not the way to put it. That, okay, super. Um, yes, yeah, so um, this is my friend John John Perrine. I'm 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 super excited. Um, I'm delighted that John's actually going to be joining us at Redeemer over the next month. So starting on August 29th on a Sunday, through the 5th, 12th, and 19th of September, John's going to be our guest speaker every Sunday for four weeks. Um, you're doing a series called The Practices of Jesus. Yeah. Right? Yep. That's right. Um, and we're going to dive into like what that actually is going to look like later just do a little bit of a teaser for that but we just figured um it would be really really good to have a conversation tonight just to introduce you to the redeemer community a bit hear your story and all of that you doing all right tonight yeah i love this i love the chance to get to do all the preamble before i am up on a stage with a bible and a podium and all the rest that sort of separate you so this is awesome it's great to be with you redeemer so those, so so people that are paying attention obviously can hear that you're not from <laughs> Belfast or Northern Ireland. So tell us, like John, we met a few years ago, but obviously people listening um, perhaps won't know you or be aware of you and, and your wife Jenna too. And um, you're living here in Dundonald at the moment, is that right? Yep, living but in you're Dundonald. you're not from here? I am not from here. You will pick that up quickly. I cannot go undercover, unfortunately. I give myself away. I actually say to my wife all the time, Jenna, who is from here, I'll constantly ask her, do you think do you think that waiter or waitress knew that I wasn't from here? And she'll always go, yes, they absolutely knew. You give yourself away <laughs> as soon as you open your mouth. Uh, so, I, so I'm from the United States. I'm actually from the state of Illinois, uh, which is near Chicago. I've lived in Chicago for quite a bit. My family's all out in Arizona now. So we moved when I was about 11 or 12. And uh, just a little bit about my background was that I... I actually had the uh, privilege and the weight of responsibility that I'm sure some of you will resonate with of growing up in a Christian home, a very Christian home in the Midwest. Uh, my dad was actually a pastor, was a youth wow. pastor for a bit. Yeah. Uh, then my parents were in ministry at Campus Crusade for Christ, if any of you know about that for a while. And so I, I sort of grew up in the thick of things in youth group culture in the 90s, um, just a wild time looking back on it now that all these things were changing. The internet was blossoming. Uh, we, I, I was in Chicago when uh, Barack Obama was elected president and oh, wow. stalled just like just cultural explosions left, right, mm. and center that were taking place across the United States. That I know has been felt uh, very intimately over here. But when I was 18, I was preparing to go to college. I was thinking about going to study the Bible, to go into ministry, kind of like my dad. And I was on, if you will believe it, a missions trip with my youth group about the most stereotypical thing you could do as a youth group kid. But while I was on this trip, I happened to meet 
this girl who was from Belfast, whose name was Jenna. And, uh, and the rest all, is history. The rest is history. I mean, from <laughs> yeah, it, I, we, we always tell uh, youth groups not to let us talk to the youth before they go on missions trips because it will horribly slant expectations and the already flirtatious uh, nature of being on missions trips. But that was how we met. And so then Jenna came and studied with me in Chicago. Uh, we lived there about 10 years and now we're, we're back here in Northern Ireland. So amazing. A bit of a journey. She, yeah. She has, she has drawn you back yeah. to Northern Ireland after all these years. That's right. That's right. That's so what you guys got married in, in Chicago. Uh, we actually, you? we got married over here. So uh, we right. got married in Orangefield Presbyterian church. So you guys will all know these yep. places. Nobody back in the States yep. knew or cared, but uh, that was the church her family grew up in. And uh, we, yeah, we I'm trying to think of the other fun details. We, we just had a great time getting married over here. I had about 30 Americans, come over for the wedding and they had the best time ever they just thought it was because maybe the last american thing i'll disclose is that all americans love ireland i don't know that everyone <laughs> no one here in northern ireland loves ireland uh but all americans love ireland and it's sort of a mythical land for us and yet yeah, yeah. jen and my wife will always say she just doesn't she doesn't get it she always downplays it she's all, and pretty much anyone i meet here when i say oh it's really great it's amazing they go yeah, it's not. It's not very great. I mean, there's any excuse, nothing special. Yeah, any excuse to come, and I'm sure all your, uh, your sort of friends back home in Chicago and the states are really jealous of all those Instagram photos of green fields. That's right. You guys and all that kind of stuff. You you know, I've posted one or two fields just to stir envy uh, back in the states. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. So you guys met on a mission trip. Was it in Poland? It was in Poland. Yeah, Poland. over Amazing. in Poland. And then you studied a Moody. Bible College together is that right? Yep. So we were we were in Chicago at Moody Bible Institute. Sort of has a deep history in conservative mm -hmm. evangelicalism as this stalwart. Uh, if you know any history of the big evangelists, D.L. Moody was the massive. Came over here to the UK, preached to thousands and thousands, and then went back to the states and set up this Bible College in Chicago. And while the school itself has sort of a convoluted history its presence is right in downtown it was a really great place to study um we we had a lot of fun even as uh we were kind of ready to be done by the time that we were done there but it was a really great experience and from moody our next step was that while we were there we actually met uh through a number of contacts a couple of people who were at willow creek community church so yep. um so for those who don't know willow creek like What's the kind of cliff notes on what Willow Creek is and its story? Yeah, so my my dad actually really admired Willow Creek when I was growing up because uh, Bill Hybels, who was the founding pastor, was known for uh, getting out of sort of traditional church expressions. Um, the famous story with Willow was always that they met in a movie theater, so in a cinema. And uh, from the cinema, Bill Hybels would preach these very engaging sermons. He would... Uh, focus on Sunday, having people who didn't know anything about Christianity being warmly embraced and accepted. And as a result, Willow Creek exploded. Uh, so at the time, even we were there five or six years ago, it would have been the fifth largest church in the United States. Churches now wow. are getting even bigger, but uh, at that point, it had 26,000 people who were attending so Willow Creek regularly. I mean, it, it was just huge. So it literally mm -hmm. had an escalator uh, there's a waterfall when you go in. There's a coffee shop, a bookstore. It just—it's like a when you hear of a mega church now, it mm. is—it really typifies 
what became mega about uh, mega churches in the United States. So it, it was one of the forerunners of that phenomenon that we're now calling the mega church. And yeah. It sort of has its home largely in the north of America in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. Wild Creek was kind of, it was kind of one of the, one of the biggest, one of the more the forerunners and Bill Hybels and what, and what, what it sort of stood for over the last, what, 20, 30, 40 years, is it? 20, 30, 40. I think it's over 40 years old now. Yeah. So it's probably the 70s, wow. 80s. So my my dad always would tell the fun story that he, as a Moody student himself in Chicago, went out to the suburbs because he heard from his friend, hey, there's this really cool new church called Willow Creek. So he went and saw it at the movie theater in, I want to say, 79, maybe, uh, as there were a couple hundred people and my dad went, wow, this looks really, this is different. I've never seen church done like this before. Everyone would have been in suits and ties and you would have had the pews and you would have been singing from hymnals and Willow Creek broke the box. Uh, so that was all good. But for any of you who know about Willow Creek now, it mostly has been in the news the last five years because there mm-hmm. was a massive, massive sex scandal that broke around Bill Hybels. Um, I'm sure you could Google it if you want to get into more details, but all of that sort of came out after um, the time my wife and I spent working at Willow. Yeah. So we we both so you, when you, we we met John. I remember you you met you and I met in 2016. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a summer. You and Jenna had. I guess you'd come back to we visit Jenna's parents or something, or the family here. Yeah, you'd somehow find Redeemer Central. You'd come along on a Sunday, and I remember we connected. And you were at that time working for Willow Creek, um, on this this service, I guess, this alternative service called the Practice. Yeah. And I, I had been aware of the Practice for like remotely. I've been listening to the podcast. And yeah. There was yeah. Some kind of there was an experimental community, like an incubator within Willow Creek that was trying stuff out around liturgy and practice. I'd love to hear more about that because. Probably most people listening won't have heard of that, or yeah, yeah, might have heard of it, but they would be intrigued to hear more. You, both you and Jenna, were employed by Willow Creek, is that right? In yeah, yeah. Industry, and you were part of this team. So this is why I'm so excited uh, to come spend four weeks with you guys at Redeemer. Why uh, I've just known about Dave and been really excited to be connected to him over these last couple of years. Um, Jenna and I, as we were sort of studying at Bible college, we had so much that was uh, great and important to us as we were ourselves sort of wrestling through this call to ministry in the church. But we had this deep sense that I know many of you share that we wanted to see the church continue becoming more and more of the church, even uh, this sort of impulse within uh, Willow Creek even that said, how can we have new creative expressions to meet the cultural moments in milieu that we find ourselves in. And so as we were ourselves asking these questions, uh, that was part of how we found Redeemer. We were just looking one summer when we came back, like what are, just Google searching, what are churches in the area, scoping websites. And we saw Redeemer's props to whoever the website designer and graphic designers are that you guys have had in the community, the artists over the years. Uh, It just drew us in when we saw your website. But all that being said- one One of the things actually that probably led you to this was that around that time or maybe a few years before that quite influenced by the practice which i know you're going to tell us about in a second just about like what that was really all about at the heart of it we had kind of experimented with i guess or when you say experimented you really were looking back to the ancient church and these these practice these spiritual practices that are um well worn practices over many many centuries um in the contemplative stream largely um, a yeah. liturgical stream but yeah. we had kind of 
stumbled across that. I think really through some of the work of James K. Smith and his. Mm. But essentially, talk to us about we were we had that on the website. Maybe that's how you connected with Redeemer. But you guys were essentially pioneering in a sense this kind of a, a whole community that was practice based. What talk to me about like yeah. what the practice was, the vision of it, what a practice based community is. So it was really a response to the increasing mega movement where uh, you see this in like Hillsong United Worship, where it was big anthem worship. Uh, Almost every church I went to in the mid to early 2000s would have five worship songs at the beginning of the service, uh, broken up by an announcement time. And then you'd move to a sermon that was normally 40 minutes long. Uh, You'd get hopefully a really engaging, dynamic entertainer for a preacher, uh, as I'm sure Dave is, I'm sure, uh, as hopefully I will be, but there, there was this sense as you'd go to this church where you'd sing five songs, you'd hear a 40 minute sermon. There's a sense where all of the pressure was on the information you were receiving and all of the pressure was on the experience. Did you have a high? Did you have a God encounter? Did you really enjoy the worship? And my wife and I were already in our early 20s just wrestling with this discontent that said, I don't know if I can keep chasing the high. You know, I don't know if I can keep chasing worship songs that make me feel good. I don't know if the preachers are entertaining enough, to be totally honest, uh, if they're insightful enough to keep me coming back every Sunday. And so the only other option we felt drawn to was to go back and uh, we were doing a lot of reading and conversations. James K. K. Smith, uh, I know was really influential for the practice itself. But what we stumbled into with this community at Willow Creek was a group of people who were really drawn to say, what if instead of being uh, content or information-based, what if we were practice-based or really even Mm practice-centered? What if the goal of our gathering was not uh, to learn information or just consume information or consume even worship experiences. But what if the goal was to equip us? Uh, I know Aaron, the guy who helped found it and who was our boss for several years, he would always talk about the gymnasium approach. He was like, what if we could take you to the gym and teach you how to use the equipment of the Christian faith? What if that was the goal of our gathering? So practices were really important. And then the second thing that really uh, resonated with us was liturgy, which liturgy is a very mm-hmm intimidating word. It sounds, uh, I know, uh, very Catholic, or maybe it sounds very sort of mainline formal church structure. But there was this ironic trend, I'm sure some of you guys have resonated with, where we were just part of this generational moment where we were like, do you think there might be something to having a more structured, formalized worship experience where we, uh, instead of just singing five straight songs and then going into a sermon, in some ways that's, that is a liturgy, right? That's actually a structure, but it's quite simple, simplistic. What if we could add more elements? What if we could do communion every single week, uh, which was mm-hmm. one of the central things that we really loved about this community? What if we could do scripture readings where someone stands up and reads a psalm or reads a passage from the Old Testament? Or what if we could incorporate prayers of the people, this sort of ancient practice where someone gets up and says a prayer to represent the prayers of the community? So those are the things that got us really excited. And uh, those are things you're going to see and hear me continue to talk about even now, because uh, I do think there was something, something really powerful about uh, sort of returning in this process of looking back in order to look forward and somewhere between that creativity like what we don't have to 
we don't have to go back to stale hymns, right? We don't have to go back to wearing yep. suits in the service, but uh, what if we could do it in fresh and creative ways? That's what the practice was sort of centered around. Yeah, it's a beautiful, a beautiful community, and it's still, it's still going today. It's I think still it's going, becoming yeah. its own church, actually, isn't it? It's in the yeah. process of becoming its own church. But some of uh, some of the Redeemer community will have heard of, I think, of Aaron and Shona Nequist, who were your your your, your bosses, boss, the yes. couple that were. Uh, Aaron was your boss. Um, I, I know some people have read some of Shona's books and yeah, things like yeah. that, and we've read Aaron's book here in yeah. the Eternal Current in in Redeemer. Yeah, I have it on my bookshelf here. It's so awesome. Um, yeah. So like what was happening there at the practice was really inspiring us um, to uh, delve into like the liturgical space, liturgical practices, contemplative practices. We started this newsletter called Sacred Rhythms, which was trying to teach our community some of the practices. And I know you're going to be diving into those when you're speaking over the next month or so um, on Sundays. But tell me this. So you were talking there a little bit. I'd love to go just a little bit deeper into that for a second. Like because um, John and I, we've been part of a, we've been part of a, a bit of a book club over summer, and we've been thinking a lot around what it means to be people of faith um, in this day and age, and what philosopher Charles Taylor calls the secular age. Mm. Um, and what, when you were describing this practice-based community that was trying to dig further back into the ancient faith, trying to look at these practices of whether it's the, the prayer of examine, mm-hmm. um, whether it's like sacraments, like the Eucharist and practicing that regularly. Um, liturgy itself, of course, means the work of the people, doesn't mm-hmm. it? So mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's it's all about participation. I know you guys met in the round. I remember you, even how you structured the rooms in the round. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when you were, you were describing it there, it was, was, was beautiful. Um, was there also an element of not only trying to introduce those elements into a Sunday worship because the previous alternative worship was kind of quite, you were talking about the kind of spiritual high and kind of the the lights, camera, action, big stage, big band, like that kind of worship style. Was there also an element of the kind of age that we live in? Yeah, not just the style, not just being a res- the practice being a response to one style of worship to another, but was there also a kind of a consideration to this age, the secular age that we live in, and how how simply exhausted a lot of us actually are by the time we even reach church, and then we find church often contributing to that exhaustion, yeah, and not actually help nourish our souls or connect us to something deeper or truer. Was that part of the conversation in those early days of the practice? Totally. You just said it uh, so well, Dave, and that I, I always enjoy hearing your thoughts on these things. Uh, I, we sometimes talked as we were getting the practice off the ground. It would have been around 2014, 2015, I think, when the practice got started. We were just really starting to see the effects, especially of smartphones. So all of us having iPhones all the time, uh, social media, which meant we're all now obviously more connected than ever. But even in 2014, 2015, starting to sense all this loneliness and isolation and disconnect. And then uh, even Netflix and Amazon Prime and Apple TV Plus and all the services we have now, just uh, bombardment of entertainment, consumption of entertainment, and yet uh, the sense in which you don't ever feel nourished after a night of Netflix, right? Like maybe if you watch a really good movie that you have great conversations around and connect to, it's great. And I I absolutely love Netflix. I love (laughs) films. But the, the problem I think that we were starting to recognize in the secular age is that 
church in order to connect to culture had done a lot of the things culture itself was doing. We were uh, really focused on being mm -hmm. entertaining. That's why mm -hmm. our worship was so strong. That's why our preaching was so interesting. Uh, we were downloading content and information in the same way that the internet can answer any question. Well, let's just answer all the questions you have about Christianity. And uh, there was a sense in which worship itself was very disembodied, uh, to yeah. use that term in, in yeah. a sort of evangelical expression, you almost, you would walk into the church building, but the goal was to make it so, so, so uh, passive and comfortable that you'd walk in, you'd watch what everyone was doing on stage, and then you'd, you'd walk out. And I mean, the most embodied thing you possibly would do is maybe raise your hand, <laughs> right? It, to receive Jesus into your heart. And yet that would even happen in a dark room with all the lights off. And so, the, mm -hmm. so some of the emphasis, uh, at the early days of the practice that I still just continue to um, see be really powerful right now is to, to engage what would it look like for church to be participatory instead of passive, right? So we're actually, when we show up to church, we have to participate. We, we can't get away from the service without having some invitation to step deeper into the story of God and his great grand redemption of the world. Um, to move from disembodied to embodied, we would, uh, a lot of Sundays was us just saying, what if you pause and take a deep breath and just connect to your body? You spend so much of your time on your phone. You send, spend so much of your time even on Zooms or uh, even podcasts like you're listening to now, which are great. But what, is it, what does it take for us to reconnect our spirit to our bodies? Um, and then finally, I think for us, some of what we felt was lost was the sacredness of God. That, and, and I realize this is sort of tender ground because it's easy to become so sacred that God is so distant and removed that he feels almost unapproachable. And yet um, some of the idea of even going back to ancient practices yeah. is that there, there's something sacred there. There's something that maybe isn't easily accessible about God that might require yeah. a little more intentional preparation and presence and uh, leaning in from the community. And so that's, it, I know it was like a, a stereotype of the time, I'm sure, Redeemer has done this too. We would often have candles going, you know, we kind of have like a, a more darkened space, a silent space. And yet some of the idea was, I think all of us are longing for the sacred right now because so much of life just feels so mundane and uh, just sort of ordinary in our existence. And so to have a service that could sort of gather those three together, participating, embodied and sacred, those are some of the big themes we were wrestling with in a secular age. Participatory embodied and engaged are those the three uh sacred sacred would be the third one sacred as well sacred yeah. embodied and participatory yeah yeah beautiful yeah i mean that's the thing i think you know as a you know as a as a worship leader you know I, i've been in those um those kind of environments where um it is kind of the big stage and all that and there's obviously some real positive things to that too you know but um yeah. as we try to integrate um, the church that's gone before us and these ways of worshiping and engaging and, and practicing and, and, and experiencing and I guess encountering God yeah. and the sacredness. Um, it also has to, I guess, um, do some kind of, it has to shape us in a way that when we leave the building as Christians, that we're actually changed. So there's kind of a transformational thing there. I read this quote today um, from Dallas Willard, of course, who's kind of it's just one of the forefathers in the, in the spiritual formation movement. And he said, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it, or even when we believe that we believe it, mm. 
we believe something when we act as if it were true oh. and that's kind of it's kind of getting to um the embodying of our faith that you were saying living out our yeah. faith i mean it goes without saying following jesus in his way outside the walls of the church so to speak in our lives being people that are deeply formed in the way of jesus but often our um sometimes i guess um our church experience can has been perhaps especially since the church has been so shaped post-enlightenment by facts and belief um, mm. that it's all about this cerebral assent to beliefs and doctrines yeah. and what yeah. we believe without actually ever embodying it and actually fleshing it out. A friend of mine, um, remember said he said we're, that, um, you know, that theology has legs, mm. you know, it has to go somewhere. It has to be active and lived out. And, um, so I guess that space that, that that I guess you as a pastor and, and I as a pastor and um, you create in a community um, a space like the practice um, or a, you know a Sunday gathering that's practice based when the church comes together to worship, it's to shape us and form us so that when we when we leave, when we engage the world, we're we're kind of moving at a different pace and yeah, we're yeah. informed by a different way, all that sort of stuff. I love that. That's so, that's exactly it. I, cause I think we're all longing for that. Aren't we? We're, we're longing for a faith that invites us to step into it. And I, I, I sense right now in our secular moment, even as time keeps going, I, we all just need so much help to figure out how to move from beliefism, move from ideas, move from our head, move from things we even would like to be true about us into the, but how do we actually, how do we live into it? How do we, how do we not just think about how do we become uh, what we believe? It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, I suppose I don't want to steal your thunder because you're actually going to be teaching on this um, at the end. This is a great setup month. for, yeah, yeah. This, this is all, if any of this interests you, come back to church the next couple <laughs> weeks because this is what we'll be talking about. Yeah, with John and his wife, Jenna, you know, they have um, really been part of a real pioneering community there and I'm looking forward to hearing more of that story on the 29th of august you're going to kick it off with the essentially weaving some of your story in. yeah yeah um but the practices uh, of jesus is uh, the series um and it's going to be practicing the kingdom in an age of disenchantment mm -hmm. and then you're going to move as uh, the 5th of september prayer a remedy for distraction and then part three fasting a remedy for consumerism and then part four finally generosity a remedy for scarcity. So we have four Sundays coming up and John's going to talk a lot more about all this practice-based stuff in his story. Are you, yeah. are you looking forward to it? Oh, it's going to be so good. And one of the things I'll say is I think there's an irony, even as we were working at the practice, that the community had a bit of a reputation, uh, rightly so, that we were really trying to lean in and think through these cultural issues. But the irony was we were going back and doing old things. So I, I wish I had for you some secret formula or some uh, brand new, innovative, American cutting edge uh, practices. But you hear in that these are ancient, tried and true practices. But what I do think we all need help with is to contextualize them into this moment with the unique pressures that are surrounding us, even uh, post-COVID, the realities of all of us living these sort of isolated, disconnected, uh, on varying degrees, fragmented selves as we've just tried to survive a global pandemic. And so some of my hope of the series for Redeemer, uh, some of my hope is I just continue pastorally 
getting really excited about all of this is that I, I think, I think if we spend some time together reflecting on all this, I think it could really help restabilize you as a person, just re-engaging. What does my faith look like yeah. right now? How do I practice my faith? How do I step into my faith? Uh, but then even as a community for us to kind of have some shared and common language and vision over these next couple of weeks. Where do we go together as we're as we're sort of pioneering, uh, setting off in a new chapter? I've heard just a bit about um, just the sort of unfolding of what is coming for you guys as a church. And so I'm really excited. I've been praying into this. I'm really uh, looking forward to being with you guys. It's brilliant. So Redeemer, please do um, put that in your diary. Re- we're reconnecting, um, regathering on Sundays and John, We'll be along um, on the 29th for that series, and you'll be talking a lot more about practices. And I, as you say, it is actually so appropriate for this moment that we're in after a year, year and a half of COVID, when we've been so dependent upon these digital yeah. platforms, which is such a disembodied way. And we've been using those and uh, not only for our work and our socializing, but also for our worship. And um, there's something about being in the room together, um, flesh and blood, and yeah. bread and wine. Um, as the church that is it shapes us changes us in a way that i guess we just can't in the other way you know we're designed for that and to send us back out into the world to to live this embodied um way of jesus so yeah looking forward to you coming along i'd love to finish with a few minutes just hearing a little bit more just about what you've been doing since the practice you moved on into um, the Anglican world in Chicago downtown. I know that. And what what drew you to to the Anglican? Yeah, so you can kind of see the logic that we were we were straddling megachurch world, which was it, itself sort of it, it was almost like uh, stepping into these inherent contradictions. Every time you'd we'd literally go down the hall from this massive auditorium, blazing guitars, smoke machines, all the rest, into this sort of quiet, secluded, uh, candlelit, <laughs> sacred ancient uh, practice-based community. And so my wife and I were trying to figure out where do we where do we go next as a couple? How do we take next steps? And we were really drawn to go learn from the Anglican tradition just because the Anglicans have really good prayer uh, practices in their Book of Common Prayer. They've got a really strong liturgy. Uh, a lot of what we were doing at the practice was drawing from experiences in the Anglican church. And so we, we really loved three years. We were uh, considering church planting with them. We were trying to figure a lot of different things out. There's a whole, you, you were, you were both, you were doing ministry downtown Chicago, downtown Chicago. In church for three years and three years were, and uh, we're, we're sort of finishing up ministry training with them. So I went through seminary while I was mm. at this, uh, at this point outside of Chicago. And then uh, the pastoral tracks in Chicagoland can feel sort of endless. So I was, <laughs> my uh, father-in-law who I'm now living close to here said, are, are you still training to be a pastor how old are you now and i say yeah yeah i'm really i'm still training i'm still training it's a lifelong journey <laughs> it's a very it's a yes it's a very rigorous path um but it was really really rich experiences uh really love the communities there that we got a chance to be part of and really we did learn we just learned so much i i, I grew up in a non-denominational context much like redeemer i i really think I'm drawn to continue to participate in non-denominational contexts because there's so much creativity, there's so much possibility. And yet um, 
I, I was just drawn to say, what it, what does it look like to be stable? What does it look like to have uh, <laughs> structures, yeah. oversight? We were kind of exploring all of it. Um, and there were a lot of really good things and there were a lot of really hard things about being in the Anglican tradition. But while we were there, uh, we had our first daughter. So we actually have two kids now. Amazing. Hazel is almost, or is two. She just turned two in July. Yeah. And then we also have now our second son, Hayden, who was just born this past February. So it is a wild time at my house right now. Uh, but I bet, I bet. <laughs> yeah, Dave, Dave is about to join us, which is going to be yeah. great. We'll just, any call, day now. Yeah. just call each other with crying babies in the background. I'm going to be looking you up, John, to get any tips. <laughs> That's right. Just the survival tips, really, for the yeah, first absolutely. couple of months. But, I mean, this is what I love, just having connecting with you. Just when I hear about your story in the Anglican churches, you've had this experience growing up in evangelicalism and in yeah. the megachurch and in this practice based community, which was very experimental. And then you moved on to a very structured, you know, the Anglican, you know, expression, Anglican tradition. And um, it's just, it's just been, it's just been fascinating just reconnecting. Like after we met in 2016, connecting last year during COVID, um, as we Redeemer here, we're in the midst of conversation about what the future holds for us as a church. You know, we've been a very experimental community, a yeah. church plant. Like all church plants, they're experimental. And at some point they either fizzle out or they um, they kick on and they mature and they think about structure a little yeah. bit and they yeah. think about the wisdom of these other traditions that have gone before us. And so it's kind of a beautiful thing about the free, the free church or the independent church and the experimentation, but there's also such wisdom in the ancient traditions and um, we've got to sort of like learn from all of these different streams. So I've loved connecting with you because you've tasted and experienced and, and led and pastored in, in all these different contexts. I love uh, one time I heard Brian Zond, who I know uh, Dave and I have talked about, both have a great fondness for it. He said, uh, I'm an ecumenical hobo. That was his definition of himself. And yet he said, I'm a hobo because I've just wandered back and forth through a lot of different denominations. And I try, I've never found a home, but I, I've tried to gather up all the best things that I found in each. And so I, I think there is something about this moment that we're, we're all just trying to look and figure out uh, pastorally, but even just as Christians, as followers of Jesus, what are the resources? Where are the, where are the streams of living water flowing out of Christ through the traditions. And um, yeah, I, there's there's a lot of richness there. And then there's a lot of richness in a lot of other traditions too that um, I'm excited to keep learning and growing from. That kind of led me, my, my final stop is to say, uh, we came back here right before the pandemic. So it has been a strange transition into Northern Ireland. I don't know that so we still... You, you, that's your, that's your, your last year and a half you've been here. Year and a half. Right at the start of COVID, you dropped in. We, uh, we had just had our, our first daughter, Hazel, was just six months at the time. We were really feeling the need for family support. Um, and it couldn't have come at a better time with the pandemic because everything locked down, right? We were on one of the last uh, flights out of Chicago before they were locking things down. So it was, it was hairy. It was a little bit uh, like so many of us have had. It was a wild ride to sort of navigate all of the pandemic pressures that were mounting. But uh, as we came out, I have always wanted to just keep going with some of these questions, questions of spiritual formation, questions of Christian practices, que questions of secular age, and what does it mean to actually embody, move from beliefs into uh, our actions, everything we've been talking about tonight. So some of that led me to keep going with schooling, and I'm currently working on my doctorate at Durham right now, semi-remotely. I travel over a little bit, um, but it's just been this great 
transitional Fantastic. gift. Yeah. So that's that's what we've been doing the last the, year and a half. What's the study? What's the topic that you're dealing, that, digging into? So uh, it, it is Christian practices. Uh, nobody will be surprised. <laughs> there's, by a theme, this there's a theme here. Christian yeah. practices. <laughs> but uh, I, in this theme of going back, I, I've been really into the uh, early church father, theologian, St. Augustine, who, if you've read any of the James K. Smith stuff, very connected, uh, sort of in dialogue with some of the things he's doing. But I'm essentially trying to wrestle with what is the difference? Um, James K. Smith actually calls it the Godfather problem. What's the difference between Christian practices that are really forming us? So, like when we do the Eucharist, it's it's working. It's spiritually changing and transforming us. Versus uh, the inevitable critique of liturgy and Christian practices is that we can sometimes do these things ritualistically. I mean, the Pharisees themselves were mm. faithful, rigid followers of the yeah. practices of the law, and yet they. As Jesus is interacting with them, he's saying, your hearts are so far from God. So what what's going on there in that tension point? And uh, I can't promise you, I'm so, <laughs> if I finish this program, maybe I'll have an answer for you. But for now, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm just as lost as uh, anybody else leaning into it. So I mean, Durham is a fantastic, well, it was one of the top schools in the world, really, for theology. It's fantastic, the study that you're doing. Um, I'm reminded when you're saying there about G.K. Chesterton's quote, you know, that, you know, um, this, you know, religion, this, this Christianity is like a love affair, you know, mm, and it's mm. like, we're trying to keep the wind of the spirit and the love affair with Jesus alive while also using these practices, um, oh, and ways of worshiping rituals, um, to enrich our faith, um, especially when we gather together. So it's kind of integrating all that. Um, it's been brilliant, um, talking, John, I'm really looking forward to you coming along, um, for the month of September. Well, you're starting on the 29th of August. 29th of August. Redeemer, I can't wait to be with you. Uh, thanks even if you've made it to the end of this podcast. Really looking forward to talking more and uh, just getting to share more with you about the practices of Jesus. So yeah, come come join us late August, early September. Fantastic, John. Yeah, and we will see you then. Um, chat soon. Cheers. Take care.